Good morning, family. It is wonderful to be with you this morning. Uh, Dave, I took note of the change of seasons as well, and this is kind of my favorite time of year. Uh, I know for some of you, this is the beginning of the end. The warm weather is over. You are waiting now till the clock ticks down, and we hit April. So uh, regardless, this is the day the Lord has made. And as we continue our worship in God's word, will you join me in praising him? Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and have preserved it for our benefit, or you challenge us with it, you encourage it with us with it, God, you point us to you through it so that we can see you and love you more fervently. So thank you, Lord, for this time now. I pray that you would use your word to further establish us and make us more like your son, Jesus Christ, who left his throne room in heaven and came to this place to rescue us when we had hopelessly lost our way. And we will give you the thanks for it in his name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about gifts. Uh, And I looked up the definition of gift in the dictionary, and here's what it says. There's actually two different definitions. One is something voluntarily given by one person to another without compensation i.e. a present. The other is a notable capacity, talent, or endowment. As we look at the word together today, we're actually going to try to merge those two uh, a little bit and see how the word of God uses the idea of gift a little bit differently than we might often think. So when we think of it, right, we usually think of that first definition, right, a present. So we think of Christmas morning or our birthday, And gee, what's going to be in the package? I can't wait to open it, right? That's usually what we think of. But we also know that gifted is used in other ways as well, right? Depending what school you went to, you might have had a gifted program where the really top-notch students who were really smart, who, uh, you know, were twice as smart as I was, they went to those classes, right? They were gifted. But the Bible uses it in a little bit of a different way. There's some similarities but we're going to see it's a little bit different as well. So when we think of the usage of the word gift in the Bible, I think we probably think of two primary things. The first is a precious passage in the book of Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And I know as soon as I begin to read it, most of you could probably finish it for me. So feel free to say it along if you want. For the wages of sin is death, but the what? The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Romans 6.23. So when we think of a gift, that's probably the first place our mind goes to in terms of the scripture. But as we're going to see today, there's another way gifting is used in the scripture. And it's this idea of spiritual gifts, which is what we're going to focus on as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's primarily where we'll be this morning. So if you want to turn there, I'd encourage you to do so. As we do that, we're continuing our series entitled, Why Penn Valley Church? And over the last three weeks, Pastor Adam has taken us through a few things. He's talked about how the church is a called out family, right? We're called out to be separate. We're called out from a world system that values self to one in which a kingdom has been established where we worship the king. We're the pillar 
of truth. We're the one that supports and defends it. In an ever-changing culture, we seek to stand firm on the unchanging truth that the Word of God declares. And last week, Pastor Adam pointed out, we're part of each other's lives. We're a koinonia, we're a fellowship, we're a family. We're to be deeply engaged and rooted in one another's lives. That's what God has intended for us. So this morning, we're going to continue, and we're going to be looking at the fact that we're each, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're each gifted. And that giftedness has a purpose to it. So if you're familiar with the New Testament, you may know that there are four passages that discuss gifts, spiritual gifts. Those four can be found here in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. They can be found in Romans chapter 12. They can be found in Ephesians chapter 4. And they can be found in 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, what's interesting about this is the Corinthian and Romans passages are some of the earliest letters that we have. They're about from the mid to late 50s AD. The next passage in Ephesians comes kind of in the middle set of letters. That's the early 60s AD. And then that passage in 1 Peter 4 comes towards the end of the apostolic age where the initial leaders that Christ had commissioned to build his church are now going home to be with him and they're passing the torch. And so in each of these cases, we see the beginning, we see the middle, we see the end. We see an establishment in the gospel in those beginning letters. We see an establishment in the mission of the church in those middle letters. And at the end, we see a calling to God's people to remain faithful even though things are not going well for them. They're facing persecution and trials and difficulties. And God is saying through Peter, stay firm. In all of those situations, the gifts play an important role. And they play an important role for us today. So if you would, if you haven't turned there, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In each case of those four passages I referenced, if you had read them this morning, you would notice that they each point out two important truths. We are not all given the same gifts, and those gifts are not meant for us. They're meant for others. And that's why I said it's a little bit different when we think of gifts spiritually versus gifts on a Christmas morning when we're ready to tear into the boxes, right? Normally, I don't get a gift that's meant for me to use on somebody else, right? I'm, I'm given a gift that's meant for me. But in the case of spiritual gifts, we're given gifts that are not meant primarily for ourselves, but for others, both in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ. Now, the Corinthian church is an interesting one. We first see it mentioned in Acts chapter 18, where Paul is on one of his missionary journeys, and he happens into Corinth. Now, Corinth was a leading city. It was an important city. It sat on a port. It had a lot of trade and commerce. It was sort of like what New York City or Los Angeles or Chicago would be for us like today. It had a lot of, a lot of people in it. 
and they had a lot of varying ideas. They were always trying to get up on the latest ideas. Hey, what's going on? Wealth and power and prestige, all those things that we see today in our cities were important back then to them as well. So Paul comes there, and this is his basically his longest stretch where he stays at any church. He's there for a year and a half. And during that time, he's facing persecution. The church is facing persecution. He's, he's finding and identifying new leaders. He meets Priscilla and Aquila, who become basically lifelong partners in the ministry with him. But he's also got some really difficult things to deal with. And so in our Bibles, there's two letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, but there are only two of at least four letters that Paul wrote to those churches. As you read both of them, you'll see that there were at least two other letters that he's written to them. And in each case, he was dealing with difficult circumstances that came from the culture in which they lived in that had infiltrated the church. The Corinthians, just like their fellow citizens of that area, were really into power. They were really into people who were well-spoken. They thought highly of those who society thought highly of. And Paul comes and says, wait a minute, guys. You're a member of a new kingdom. You're part of a new people group. This is not your home. This is not where you're ultimately going to be. This is a temporary stop. And so their church, as we see in 1 Corinthians, the first probably 8 to 9 to 10, 11 chapters, there's a whole lot of awful things going on. There's a guy who took his dad's wife to be his. There's false teachers that have come in and are leading them astray. There's, uh, they're coming together for communion uh, this holy time, and some of them are like really well-fed and others are starving, and he's like, guys, what are you doing? And then he comes to this passage on gifts. And as we look at it, I want you to just take a second and listen with me, with all that in mind, with all the messiness of this church family in Corinth. I want you to hear how Paul starts out both his letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Here's how it reads. This is the first chapter of 1st Corinthians. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1st Corinthians. 2nd Corinthians, he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole area of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you catch that? He references them as, as saints when they seem like anything but that. Why? Because Paul's actually using his spiritual gifts here. He's called to love and establish the church as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what he's going to do. So as we look at this passage, keep in mind that he's writing for two reasons. He's writing, one, for the reports that have come back to him from the ministry leaders of some of the things that shouldn't be happening but are at Corinth. But he's also, as we see in chapter 7, responding to a letter that they wrote to him. 
asking him about different questions and topics. So he's kind of interspersing both of those as he goes along in the letter. And he gets to this chapter, chapter 12, where he's going to deal with spiritual gifts, and he's going to do so for an extended period of time, much more than he has with most of the other topics thus far. And as he does so, let's find out what are the spiritual gifts, why the spiritual gifts are given, and how to identify and use our gifts. That's kind of the broad view of what we want to look at this morning. But we're going to get in a little more in-depth on the purpose of those gifts, because that's really what he goes after here. So let's ask the question, what's a spiritual gift? The spiritual gift is an ability that is freely given to each follower of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the purposes that Jesus Christ has for that believer and the church they are part of. Spiritual gifts are not natural abilities or talents. Everybody has those. But they're specialized gifts for specific goals and a specific time and place and how they're used. And what's the purpose of those gifts? That's what Paul's going to get into. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. Look at the first three verses. As we do so, let's notice four things. Let's notice perspective, purpose, problems, and prescription. Perspective, purpose, problems, and prescription. First, perspective. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 3. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Right out of the chute, Paul says, you need to have the correct perspective, Corinthians. You need to have a clear understanding about gifts and why God gives them. He doesn't want them to be unaware because up till now, he's been addressing a whole host of issues where they have been. They've been off target, as Ted talked about earlier, in various facets of their lives. And gifts were no exception. So he says, I don't want you to be unaware because there are dangers in being unaware. And some of the dangers have already been seen in your lives. Then Paul turns to verse 2, and notice this seems to sort of be odd. Why, if he's going to talk about spiritual gifts, does he say this? You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Wait a minute, I thought Paul was talking about gifts here. Why is he talking about mute idols? Well, this is really important to understand why he's calling them to a change of perspective. He's calling them to humility. He's pointing back to the life they used to live and the people that they live among. And he says, listen, you used to be led astray by these idols. Now, if you went to ancient Greece, you would see that that was dotted with temples to various gods. And it was not uncommon that if you entered one of those temples to worship, there was this thought that the spirit of that particular God would come upon you. And one of the things you would experience as a result of that would be these ecstatic utterances that you would speak as an act of worship. So now here's the Corinthian church, and there's a gift given by the Holy Spirit that involves utterances. And instead of following the direction that Paul has laid out for them, what they have done instead is they've imported from their culture their previous way of life and how they viewed these utterances. 
And Paul says, wait a minute, guys. That's not how you learned about Jesus Christ. Remember, you were alienated from him. You were apart from him. You had no portion with God. And it's only because God came down to you, and he came down to you and you and you and me. That's the only reason that these gifts are even available to you. Because first and foremost, they stem from the gift that he talked about in Romans 6 that we quoted earlier, the gift of eternal life. And so he brings them back to the gospel message first to lay a foundation for them and their understanding of the gifts. And so as he does so, as he establishes a different perspective, he now turns to the purpose of the gifts. And we see this in verses 4 through 11. He says, now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So Paul says, look, there's variety and there's unity. There's a variety of gifts, he says. There's a variety of services. And there's a variety of works. What does he mean that there's a variety of gifts? Now, there's several ways we could break gifts down, and all of them have validity to them, I think. I just want to give you one way of doing it, to look at the gifts in these four passages, and particularly here in 1 Corinthians 12, and see how do we, how do we kind of align them. So the, the, three, the three ways I would say you could do it are prophetic gifts, priestly gifts, and kingly gifts. Prophetic gifts are those that are based around an understanding and an articulation of the truth. They're things like the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, the gift of speaking, the gift of the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom and discernment. These are all meant to help us as a body understand, acknowledge, and bring ourselves under the truth that's been declared through God's word. So you have the prophetic gifts, but you also have the priestly gifts. These are an understanding and the supplying of others' needs. They're things like helps, healing, shepherding, serving, hospitality, mercy, giving. These are gifts where we see a need in someone else's life, and the gift that God has given we use to help meet that need. And then lastly, kingly gifts. These are based on ones providing direction and mission to the church. They're things like the apostles, leadership, and administration. They all help the church understand and pursue the mission that Christ has given her. But he doesn't just say there's a, a variety of gifts. He says there's a variety of services. He says there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. What are these services? Well, not every gift in how it's used looks the same, right? He's pointing to the fact that there are a variety of ways and a variety of contexts in which gifts can operate, and they don't all look the same. So take, for instance, where we're at in the service right now. The gift of teaching is being used. But it would be crazy, foolish, and wrong to think that the only gifts of teaching that are resident at Penn Valley Church are Adam or Dave Brown or Dave Allen or myself or anyone else who has stood up here on a Sunday morning. The gift of teaching is being used right now for the youth, 
the children. It's being used in our small groups and a variety of other contexts. It may not look the same or come across the same way, but it's the same gift that's being used to build up God's people. So he says that there's a variety of gifts, there's a variety of services. Then he says this strange phrase, and it's like, what, what does he mean here? He says, and there's a variety of activities, or in some versions it might say a variety of workings. What I think he means is that not every level of gifting is exactly the same. What you're called to do using your gift is not going to work out the exact same way that somebody else is. So think about it. Think about the evangelist, right? We know Billy Graham. Almost everybody knows his name. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people sit in a stadium to listen to him. Thousands leave their seats as he gives an invitation, and they come to give their life to Jesus Christ. Is that the only type of evangelist there is? No. There's people in the body of Penn Valley Church that are evangelists. And if you watch them, you see them interacting with others, and they're just drawing them into Jesus. I remember as a young believer, there was a guy, some of you might remember, named Joe Buck. And Joe was an evangelist. He would go to prisons. He'd go to all sorts of places. And he just had this real gentle matter, uh, uh, manner about him. But the number of people that God used him to lead to Christ was astounding. Now, he wasn't Billy Graham out somewhere in a stadium, but he was a faithful evangelist who was doing the work that Christ called him to do. So there's a variety. There's a variety of gifts, a variety of services, a variety of workings. But look what it says after each of those statements. Not only is there variety, there is unity. There is a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. The same spirit is the one who gives all those gifts. There's a variety of services, but the same Lord who oversees those services, who equips us for them, and to who ultimately we are accountable in the use of them. And there's a variety of workings, a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers each of them. So they look different, they're in different contexts, but they all have one source who's accomplishing his purposes through them. And why? We'll look at verse 7. Here's kind of, this is the important part. It says, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the what? For the common good. That's where Paul is driving at. He's saying you've each been given gifts. You've each been given them in a specific context. They work in a specific way in your life for what? For the common good. They're there to build up the church. They're there to ensure that both the breadth of the church, the number of people within it, as well as the maturity of the church is growing. Right? Last week, Pastor Adam pointed out Acts chapter 2, right, where they were all together in one place. They were fellowshipping. They were breaking bread. They were praying together. And what, is it, what does it say at the end? God was increasing their numbers daily, right? He was increasing through the use of the gifts the number of people who were part of his family. 
And then what did we learn when we went through Hebrews in the previous series? We saw the passage in Hebrews 5 where he says, wait a second, you guys should by now be on solid food, but you're still taking in milk, right? There was a level of maturity that hadn't been attained. The gifts are meant to address both of those. They're meant to address the number of believers and the maturity of the believers. And Penn Valley Church can only be what God intends it to be if each of us is using our gifts together for the benefit of each other and the community he has placed us in. Amen? So we looked at perspective, purpose. Let's look at the problems now that Paul addresses. And we're going to talk about the two that he addresses here and just two real quick that aren't specifically stated but I think are worth mentioning. So from verse 12 to verse 26, and we're not going to go verse by verse here, but in each of those verses, what Paul is drawing out is how the gifts have been misused in Corinth. They've been misunderstood. They've been misapplied. Paul, as he does this, look at what he does in verse 12. He comes back to this idea of unity again, and he says, For just as, there's one, uh, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew and Greek, slave and free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So he says, you've all come from different backgrounds. You have different life experiences, different socioeconomic status, different race, different families. All this is true, and yet God has called you into one church body. He's called you to be part of that family, to be engaged in that family. He's given you exactly all the same things. There wasn't some who got the Spirit and some who didn't. There wasn't some who got Jesus and some who didn't. There weren't some who were baptized and some who were not. They were all part of that same ministry. And so Paul says, in light of this, take a look at the trouble that you guys are experiencing. And in verses uh, 21 and following, he initially says the first problem. And let's, we'll call this the Eeyore problem. You guys might remember Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, right? Nobody loves me, right? He was always a little melancholic. He didn't think anybody cared, right? This is the Eeyore problem, that my gifts are not that important. I'm not the one standing up front. I'm not the one teaching on Wednesday nights. I'm not leading a small group. You know, my gift is, is service, or my gift is helps, or my gift is showing mercy. And we think those aren't the chief gifts. And Paul says, rubbish. That's not true at all. Those gifts are just as vital, and he uses the picture of the body. And look what he says. He says... On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. He says, can you, he says, uh, can the hand say, I don't belong to the body? Would that make it any less part of the body? He says, no, of course not. That would be silly to say. And he says, it's the same way with gifts. To say your gifts aren't an important part of what's happening at Penn Valley Church 
is to belittle the gifts that God has given you instead of using them for his glory. But then he flips the coin and he says, but wait a second, there's another problem. There's some who are patting themselves on the back because they think they have the best gifts, the most important, the ones that everybody should have and everything should be generated through that. And he says, wait a minute, guys. Your gifts are important, but they're no more important than the others that Christ has given to his church. So he says, there's two problems. We can overvalue or we can undervalue gifts. And he says, we need to be careful both individually and corporately not to let that happen. Now, let me quickly just say two other problems that come along with giftedness. First, not having a particular gift does not mean that you are not called to do the task associated with that gift. What does that mean? We're not all evangelists, but we're all called to be a witness of Jesus Christ. We don't all have the gifts of mercy, but we're called to extend mercy to one another, including our enemies, right? We don't all have the gift of giving, but we're all called to be generous. Not having a particular gift doesn't mean that we're not tasked with doing the things associated with that gift. Secondly, we have to be careful not to confuse the gifts of the Spirit of God with the fruit of the Spirit. Not every believer has every gift, but every believer is to be growing in the fruit of the Spirit that's referenced in Galatians chapter 5. And the danger is, and if you think about it for a moment, you'll see that it's true. The danger in operating in your gift but not having the fruit of the Spirit growing in your own life is, there's still things that are good that will come from you using your gifts. Think about how many times you have seen a leader who later on is brought down due to moral failure, but when they were in the pulpit or when they were an evangelist or whatever it may be, there were people coming to Jesus Christ. Yet God is not just concerned about us using our gifts. He's concerned about his fruit being produced in our lives because he's not just caring about the people he's asking us to serve. He cares for us Two. And lastly, Paul comes to the prescription. So he's talked about we need a fresh perspective. He talks about we need to understand the purpose, and then he goes through the problems. And now at the end of the chapter and into the next one, he's going to talk about the prescription. Paul is going to show us how do we guard ourselves in using our gifts so that it doesn't get to the point where we're devaluing or overvaluing, where it doesn't get to the point where the fruit of the Spirit's not present even when the gifts are. How does that happen? Look what he says at the end of chapter 2 with verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healings, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongue. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And the obvious answer to all those questions is no. And then he says this, and I will show you still a more excellent way. So he sort of ends on what seems like a cliffhanger. Wait a minute. What's this more excellent way? And he goes right into it in chapter 13. Now, just to make sure you guys are all still awake, 
What is chapter 13? Where do we normally hear that at? At weddings, right? It's usually read, maybe it's prayed over, right? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. My wife and I had it at our wedding. But the purpose of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is to connect to what he just said in chapter 12 and to what he's about to say in chapter 14. He's saying that without love, the gifts do not have the power that they are meant to have. They're not going to accomplish what they're meant to accomplish. Without love, look what he says in chapter 13. He says, without love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, in all the years that Dave O'Brien has been the elder of worship here, not once has he ever said to me, hey, you know, I'm in a bit of a pinch. I don't have a drummer. Jason, can you come up and play the drums today? Why? Because it would be a catastrophe, right? It would be awful. Like everybody would be, all these talented musicians and singers are up here, and then I'm there like, right? And it would be awful, right? It would be like a clanging gong or cymbal. But he doesn't stop there. Look what he says. He says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am what? What does he say? I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I have gained nothing. Love is what guards our hearts and allows us to use the gifts that God has given us and entrusted us with. Without it, we're going to miss the mark. Because love connects our horizontal relationship with Jesus Christ to our, our vertical relationship with Jesus Christ, excuse me, to our horizontal relationship with each other. Right back in John 7, do you remember he's at, he's at one of the feasts and he stands up and he says, Jesus says, he's like, those who believe in me out of their lives will flow what? Rivers of living water. He says this to symbolize the upcoming ministry of the Holy Spirit. Part of that is the gifts the Spirit entrusts to you and I. Those gifts flowing from us are offering living water to others. So if we are not growing in our love, we are not going to be that source that conduit of the living water, the way that God intends us to be. So how do we, let's answer that last question I brought up earlier, and we're almost finished. How do we understand and utilize our spiritual gifts? Some of you over the last few months have had the opportunity to sit down with Pastor Adam. He's been kind of on a, a listening tour, and he's meeting with members of the church, learning their stories, hearing their hearts. And one of the questions he's been asking has been, what do you want to do? What are you passionate about? And this is a great question to be asking when it comes to spiritual gifts. What do you want to do? What are you passionate about? And many people have said to him, you know what? I want to serve the least among us, Pastor Adam. I want to serve the senior saints and the elderly in my community. Others have said, you know what? I really love administration, and I would love to use that gift for Penn Valley Church. Still others are passionate about shepherding and counseling and a variety of other gifts. What about you? 
How can we identify where you fit? If you haven't done that already, what's the path to take that? Now, let me tell you, it's not going to all come at once, more than likely. It's going to take some time, but let me give you three quick things. Identify your affinity. Where do your interests lie? Where do your passions lie? What gets you jacked up? What, what do you see and you move towards? You see this need, and you want to help meet it. That's helping you understand the gifting that God has given you. Identify your abilities. What are you good at? What do others say you're good at? Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm really good about just sitting down with somebody who's hurting and, and hearing them out and reminding them that God loves them. Man, sounds like you've got the gift of mercy. We need that here. And lastly, but really should be firstly, identify opportunities. This is the last one on the list, but it should be the first one that we go to. What needs do we have as Penn Valley Church? Find one and plug yourself into it. Don't worry if you don't know your gifts when you do so. Taking the opportunity to do these things is going to help you crystallize what your gifts really are. So maybe you'll do some things and it'll help get something accomplished that'll be meaningful, but you realize, you know what, that's not really my gift. That's okay. When I turned 35, my wife's uh, great aunt, Ruth Worthington, who's sitting here, came up to me and she referenced to me a passage from the Psalms. And she said, you know, the Bible talks about that uh, most people make it to 70, maybe 80. You're halfway there. Now that day, right, Ruth was able to cross off mercy and encouragement and exhortation. Those obviously weren't her gifts, right? No, I'm kidding. She really does have some of those, right? But be like, be like Thomas Edison. You know, he said, all my trials and efforts to develop the light bulb were not a failure. I found 2,000 ways not to make a light bulb. I only needed to find one way to. Fit yourself into the church body. Find opportunities to serve. And through that, you will discover the gifts that God has given you. Now, this next part, I just want to be upfront and clear with you. It may sound a little hokey. It may sound a little weird. I'm okay with that. I hope you will be okay with that. But many of you know that when, for about the better part of two decades in my life, I worked for two different members of Congress. And over that time, one of the things that I got to do several times, which was a tremendous blessing to me, was I got to sit in on this um, oath ceremony for new US citizens. So people from all over the globe that had come to the United States and they said, you know what? I wanna make this country my home. I wanna build a life here. I wanna build a family here. I wanna build a career here. I wanna invest in the community where I live. And so they would take this short oath, and, and in it, basically what they would do is they would renounce their previous allegiances, and then there would be certain significant things about being a United States citizen that they would be asked to do if needed. So like talks about serving in the military, different things that they would be asked to do. And man, it was so cool to see these people, young and old, rich and poor, people from every continent, every, it seemed like every tongue, tribe, and nation were there pledging to be citizens of the United States. So what I want to ask us to do is I want to ask you to stand. 
And we're going to do something a little similar to that. And again, this is not an official part of being a member of Penn Valley. I want to put that out as a disclaimer. This is not meant to be like, hey, you've got to do this or you're no part of us. It's not anything like that. But I want to take us through a few things we've been going over the last few weeks and help us to think a little bit more about them by doing something similar to the oath of citizenship. So repeat after me if you would, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and if you call Penn Valley your home. All right. I renounce the things of this world that may lead me away from Jesus. And I commit to walking in the newness of life that he has given me. As a gift through his gospel. I commit myself to understanding and living in light of the word of God. I commit myself to keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And daily surrendering myself to him. Oh, it's getting a little weaker. Let's step it up, guys. So that he can produce his fruit in my life. There we go. And make me more like Jesus. I commit myself to being an active member of the family of families at Penn Valley Church. To understand and use my gifts for the building up of the local church and to participate in its mission. I commit myself to praying for, loving, serving, and sharing the good news. Serving and sharing with those whom God has put in my life. so that they may know his love and care for them. All right. So here's where we'll end. The Holy Spirit gives a variety of gifts to equip the body for a variety of services that will accomplish a variety of goals in building up the body and in glorifying Jesus Christ. But why such an emphasis on service? The answer is because we're a preview people who are called to show others what living under the rule and reign of Jesus looks like. And what kind of king is he? He's a servant king. Mark 10, 42 to 45, Jesus says this. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. In serving others through the use of the gifts that he has given you, we are showing them what Jesus is really like. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful uh, again for this time. We're grateful that we can gather 
uh, on this day, the day you have made, and worship you in song and in prayer and in announcements and in your word and in fellowship. God, we, we want to commit to the things that your word calls us to commit to because we know that by following you, by keeping in step with your spirit, by using the gifts he's deposited in our lives, God, that we will have an impact not only here and now, but for eternity in the lives of others. So would you encourage us, God, in our part, reveal to us our gifts, give us the grace to take the opportunities for the needs that exist at Penn Valley Church to serve and love others so that they may be encouraged and see you more clearly, and that we might do that with those in our lives who don't yet know you, Jesus, our friends and our neighbors and our family and our coworkers, so they may get a picture of what it looks like to live under the kingship of Jesus Christ. We ask this and pray this in his precious and holy name. Amen.